Welcome to the Today is a Good Day podcast, a podcast to bring you a new point of support as you navigate your NICU journey. Today is a Good Day is here to be a part of your conversations, whether your baby was born prematurely, has special needs, or if your family is grieving a loss. The voices you will hear on the Today is a Good Day podcast are personal stories from people who have been there. Please don't forget to hit subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast listening app. During the NICU journey, it's difficult to see past the moment right in front of you, that next call from the doctor, your baby's next heel prick, head ultrasound, or the car seat test. The NICU journey can certainly feel never-ending. The days seem to run into each other until the big day arrives when they finally say, you are taking your baby home. However, you'll hear on this episode, going home brings on a whole new set of challenges and experiences. We're speaking with Renee and Alex Archowski to discuss what it's like post-NICU, many years later, when your preemie grows to be taller than you are, and what it feels like to look back at your NICU journey after so many years. So I'd like to welcome you both, good friends of ours, Renee and Alex. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Martha. So tell us a little bit about your journey to parenthood. Sure. Um, well, our journey to parenthood started off really regularly. You know, we just had gotten married and we were very excited to start our family. Um, and so we got pregnant right away, which uh, I don't even think we celebrated our year anniversary. Um, and we found out we were pregnant. So we were ecstatic and um, everything was going along really fine. And we knew we were having a boy, which we were also, you know, super excited about. At 33 weeks, uh, Alex went away on a business trip and I was home by myself. And in the middle of the night, I got up to go to the bathroom, which is a normal, you know, part of pregnancy. You've got to go to the bathroom all the time. Um, but then strangely, when I went back into bed, my water broke and I was terrified. You know, it was the first time I had a baby. I had not known about you know, what happens if your water breaks early? I didn't think it was possible. So I was very scared. I called Alex. Um, it was about three, two or three in the morning. And he was in Virginia Beach, uh, you know, which is what, five hours away. So he said, okay, you know, let me know how it goes. Pack a bag. I remember him distinctly saying, bring Gatorade and a power bar. And I'm thinking, wait, I'm not running a marathon. I'm having a baby. So I, I did that. I packed all this stuff and drove myself to the hospital because I said, well, why should I call an ambulance? And I got there and I was just thinking, oh, my God, what if I don't bring this baby home? You know, I don't know what's happening. He's early. It's very it's it's quite early. It was terrifying, you know, to be in that position and to be in that position alone until my husband got there. Uh, blessedly, he did get there just in time for the birth of Xavier, who's our 15-year-old preemie, former preemie. And um, yeah, that was that was how it all got started. How did you feel during that time, Alex, getting that call from Renee? I, you know, it's weird because I wasn't too far removed from kind of the military experience. And it's just you get this weird feeling of there's something that's happening in the middle of the night. And there's always something like that in the military. Mm -hmm. So the initial you have to help somebody. And I felt like the help was the only thing I could do was how what does she need? And I didn't know anything else other than I really just want her 
to not be hungry or thirsty. <laughs> and right. I was afraid that the, the hospital would not do this initially for her, which means it, it just that's the only thing I could provide that was of anything of value. It was banana, power I'll bar, banana and, too, right? and, and Gatorade, I remember exactly. So at the same time, that was the different feeling because everything else was you're in control. And this was the first time in my life I felt like I wasn't in control of anything else, especially being five hours away. And then that just compiled during the drive mm -hmm. home on that. And um, luckily with modern medicine, they were able to wait mm -hmm. to for that environment. Right. So Xavier was born at 33 weeks. Yes. And how was your NICU experience? Tell us what that looked like. Yeah. And how old is Xavier now? He is 15. Okay. It feels like a distant mm -hmm. memory with him in the NICU. And, you know, he was uh, a very large preemie to begin with. He started off life as a as a big dude, and he continues to be a very big dude. Right now he is six foot five. Um, so proof positive that preemies do really well, as you well know, Martha. Um so he, he was born at 33 weeks, and he was um, blessedly assessed with no health issues, but he couldn't eat. He couldn't suck, which is the, the reflex that kicks in usually around 34 to 35 weeks. So he was only in the NICU for one week. But being there even for one hour is, you know, terrifying because you, you know, you know you're not coming home with your baby, which is abnormal, right? So most people mm -hmm. don't know what to say or how to support you. They're excited that you had a baby, but yet they're scared that something might happen to the baby because they're in the neonatal intensive care, which many people don't have that experience. So, you know, we first assured everybody that he was okay and um, he was doing well. He was six pounds, two ounces and 21 inches. And the nurses were like, wow, he's really big for a preemie. But um, he did very well, and he started to, um, you know, suck right on cue. Of course, he was fed by the the tube mm -hmm. for the first for the first week, um, and then we took him home. And you know, that also comes with so much emotion because you are thinking, well, what if something happens? What if there's some, you know, repercussion from being in the NICU? What if there was something that they missed? You know, what if he has a health issue that is, you know not determined, but by and large, the NICU makes the, the nurses and the doctors are just, they're just incredible people. And when they tell you, or when they tell you it's okay to go home, you, you do feel that comfort because they say you could call any time of day or night and you literally can. And so you're always scared to leave at whatever time of day or night because you're thinking, well, what if something happens as soon as I walk out the door? All these things keep racing through your mind. Um, but they make you feel so confident and well cared for. Um, you know, I think the only part for our experience that was missing was it also felt very uh, isolated mm -hmm. because oftentimes parents are not talking to one another in the NICU because they're scared. They're just kind of sitting there with the baby thinking, what if, what's happening, waiting for that next doctor visit to come in and assess the baby. So we really didn't, you know, have that much support uh, from peers or friends or, um, you know, anything. And so for that experience, it was brief, but yet intense. I want to come back to that isolation in just a minute. But when you look at 
when you graduated from the NICU, mm-hmm. it is scary to walk out those doors. Yes. It's really this mix of emotions mm-hmm. of this is so exciting. Cannot believe yeah. we've hit this point where we get to go home right. and walk out of the this hospital. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side of it, you're going oh my gosh, we're right. walking out of this hospital and yes. what are we going to do? When you look back on that time, what was one of your biggest fears? And I'd love for both of you to mm-hmm. answer this, but one of your biggest fears that you had walking out of the hospital mm-hmm. and if you could speak to somebody else who is leaving the NICU now, what would you tell them of how to work through those emotions? Yeah, um, I remember distinctly the first night that uh, Xavier came home, he was in his bassinet and I was sleeping on the couch and I literally, literally stared at him for the entire night. I, I didn't sleep one <laughs> wink because when you're in the NICU, he's hooked up to every type of monitor that assesses every type of function. So his heart was beating, you know, it was monitored, his breath was monitored, everything. And now there's no monitors. What if he stops breathing? What if this is right. the moment? So I remember sitting there like a vigil, just like staring at his, uh, so that was the memory that's like etched in my mind. Um, I said I would never do that again, but when I talk about Julian and his journey, mm-hmm. I, I did it again. But um, so that was that was etched in my mind, and I think um, I do remember calling the pediatrician that first week with, you know very random questions that I was scared about. Because again, I was we were first-time parents. So every first-time parent feels that level of, you know, frightened. What if something happens? What if I don't know what to do? But I would say to folks who are bringing their baby home is definitely reach out to the NICU even afterward, because I, I think that we actually did, or I actually did. And they're very supportive. Your pediatrician, of course, is is very supportive. I really didn't reach out to friends a lot, strangely, um, because I don't I don't think they felt that same level of anxiety mm-hmm. and they might have just thought I was nuts. You know, so I remember really thinking, like, I shouldn't reach out to my friends. And of course, they would have responded so kindly. But um, you, you do still feel that little bit of isolation, I think. Alex, I don't know. Do you have any? Distinct memories of of when Xavier came home. Mine was actually later, where um, he started having respiratory issues, which was what I heard about the possibilities of NICU. Is it's not the outside, it's the inside. So when he had he struggled for a good year for his respiratory and um, cough, and um, and that was my first anxiety. And just thinking about NICU and just thinking about his being, him being a preemie. So it almost like came to me later mm-hmm. about that, the realization he was a preemie. I yeah. literally just thought of it as a baby and then looked at it later like, wow, this person really is feeling the effects of being mm-hmm. born early. And that was probably more my supervision, kind of life-saving kind of, uh, and you know, one time I don't think Renee was around when I had a call when he was very lethargic mm-hmm. and in a manner, and I had to make a decision where it was, he had to go to the, the hospital where he was just having a breathing problem. So he had RSV, oh. which uh, is a severe respiratory um, virus, and it causes children to be, have a very uh, lethargic appearance, very shallow breathing. It's almost like the most severe cold and cough that you could imagine. And of course, preemies are really susceptible to it. So uh, when when he got it, we were very scared. 
because of the lung development not being fully, you know, the lungs were not fully prepared at 33 weeks, even though he had gotten some, uh, I, they had quickly given some booster shots to me during labor to um, enhance his lungs. You, you're not sure if that's going to work. So we were always concerned about asthma. Um, nebulizer became part of our life for what, two years, I think he was yes. on the nebulizer. I'm sure you could relate. Mm -hmm. um, we would play, you know, the video of Thomas the Train while he had the nebulizer. And I mean, it was like an endless loop of of the nebulizer and Thomas the Train. But yes. he got through the RSV, thankfully, um, after a hospital visit. And, um, you know, blessedly after he was about three the respiratory issues and the coughing and the constant bronchial, you know, inflammation died down. Now we mentioned Jolene a couple times, so right. I think it's important to talk about you not only experienced the NICU mm -hmm. with Xavier, mm -hmm. but you navigated that journey again. Can yeah. you tell us about that? Sure. Well, the journey to get to Julian might be, in fact, another podcast because mm -hmm. that was an eight-year that was an eight-year journey. Um, but briefly, I will kind of let you know because it feeds into the NICU experience as well. But um, so between the birth of, of Xavier and Julian, uh, 10 years went by, eight of which we spent trying to get to have Julian. Um, so to make the long story short, after seven miscarriages, we finally had a successful pregnancy with Julian. And when I tell people that we went through seven miscarriages, they they think we are truly crazy. Um, but we did feel like there was there was another there was another baby for us. It just had to be the right one and it just had to come to us at the right time. And sure enough, it did after much, you know, trial and tribulation. And so then the fear was, of course, throughout the whole pregnancy with Julian that we would lose him. And at any moment, um, he would be gone. So during the the first 12 weeks, I had a weekly ultrasound and it was so reassuring to hear his heartbeat week after week. And I literally lived for those appointments because I thought, what if I go there? What if this is the week where they tell me the baby has died? Mm -hmm. So that was very intense. So after getting through that, you know, there was the, the constant conversation with the doctor because I had had one premature birth. The chances of having a second one are very high. So I thought, oh, for goodness sake, I just got through the first trimester and now we're in the second trimester. What if he's born at 22 weeks? What if he's born at 30 weeks? What if, what if, what if? So it was a constant week to week, you know, just fear and anxiety. Um, and sure enough, he was born early, uh, even though I had been doing a lot of preventative work with progesterone supplements and, you know, weekly monitoring um, again into the second and third trimester, weekly monitoring. So his, um, you know, his birth at 33 weeks, again, the same exact amount of time as, as Xavier. In fact, to the day, it was 33 weeks and three days for both of them, which I thought was wow. so weird. Um, when they told me that at the hospital, they said, oh, you do realize you had your last baby at 33 weeks and three days. And I had kind of forgotten about the three day mm -hmm. part. And I said, oh, my God, really? So they, they, I felt like they, they both had like, um, you know, when you cook your Thanksgiving turkey and there's that little popper that mm -hmm. pops up. I felt like they both had these little poppers <laughs> that popped up and they're like, okay, I'm done. I'm coming out. Ready so he popped out and um, different from uh, Xavier. He was small. 
He was only four pounds, uh, 11 ounces and 19 inches. So he looked much more like a preemie. And we had had almost a full-size baby with Xavier. So when we saw Julian, we were like, oh, he's so tiny. Um, but he was um, he was healthy too, thank God. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, I, I remember when he first was born, we didn't hear him cry. And I thought, oh, God, here's the moment where they say something is wrong. You know, it's like I went through all of this mm-hmm. only to have that. But blessedly, he was okay too. He didn't have any health issues, but he had the same you know, issue as Xavier that he could not eat on his own. So he was fed through the tube similarly. And we were at the same NICU. So yes. we felt uh, grateful, even saw some of the same nurses who mm-hmm. had said they worked mm-hmm. there for 19, 25, mm-hmm. you know, 15 years, all of this, you know, these incredible people who could do that work day after day. How long did Julian stay in the NICU? Julian was there for three weeks. Okay. Um, so it was a, it was a quite a longer stay than Xavier. And he just took longer to to get used to the, the feeding and he needed to grow. So he was more on the growing and the feeding side. The journey to having... Julian, I wanted to go back to something that you said that I think is really important because mm-hmm. a lot of families have those weekly appointments. Mm-hmm. They have those weekly heart checks yeah. for weeks on end. Yep. And they are frightening. It is frightening every time you walk through that door to have a heart check yep. and to make sure that your baby's heart is still beating. Mm-hmm. How did you work through those emotions and what would you recommend to other families, other women who are experiencing the same thing uh, of having to go and meet with a doctor weekly? And how did you get through it? Well, I have to really hand it to Alex because we have a really uh, good relationship in that I'm operating at, you know, level, he calls it DEFCOM 5. I'm, I'm thinking the worst every moment. And he is like cool as a cucumber. So he really, um, helped me to ease my anxiety because I was, of course, terrified going into every appointment. And Alex would, you know, constantly reassure me that it was going to be okay. Whatever, whatever happens, you know, we're, we're doing this together. And we had already been through so much up until that point. You know, we had been through the devastating losses, you know, seven times. So part of, part of us was already, you know, steeled from that. We were just expecting that news. So we were always braced for impact, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do have to say that just having the support of your of your partner and your friends, I mean, my friends every week would call and text and, you know, you really have to get that network of people just cheering you on every week. That's what really got me through. And also just, you know, feeling like it, it was a huge leap of faith to even pursue having Julian after all of those losses. So I continued to feel like, you know, this pregnancy happened for a reason and he's gotten thus, he's gotten thus far, we've, he's been here. So there's gotta be something that's pulling him through all this. You know, I'm a, I'm a religious person, Alex and I believe, you know, strongly that this really was meant to be. And this was the child that was meant to be with us. So we did have to take that leap of faith. You mentioned about family or friends Mm -hmm. supporting you specifically. What was something you remember the most about a friend supporting you? Because I think that's a question Mm -hmm. that comes up a lot. 
I know our friends and family didn't quite know what to do mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. And we can look back and say, this yeah. was this really meant a lot. This was impactful. We appreciated this. What was mm-hmm. something that stood out for both of you that friends or family members did to help support you? Yeah. Well, we were always really open about our, you know, our journey through multiple losses with all of our friends, both male and female, knew about our experience. So we never kept anything a secret. So they knew what we had been through. And I think we're just constantly, you know, supportive of of us, even though they probably secretly thought, like, why would they keep doing this? You know, why would they keep going through this? But particularly um, my best friend was such a support and a champion. I mean, she would just call me weekly and daily, if possible, listen to my crazy ranting, like, oh, my God, what if this happens? You know, during the course of the pregnancy, I'd also been hospitalized a few times, once with preterm labor, which was terrifying because that was earlier in the pregnancy. I think it was at 30 weeks. Um, So they were aware of all of that and continually just checking in on us. Um, So I don't know if it was one thing in particular, but just really having that support of my my one best friend was so critical because Mm -hmm. she would listen to me nonstop. Yes. um, You know, I think for the most part is um, there's a lot there was a lot in the experience more the second time than the first time Mm -hmm. because of the journey. And you have so much more time to think about things. And I think one thing I realized is there's just so much that goes into the thought process because it related, it reminds me a lot of uh, when a, when a military member goes on deployment, male or female spouse is left behind. So what happens is they have a support group for that. And the military emphasizes because there's so much uncertainty, they have the kids, doesn't matter who's left at home. And this journey was, was really alone because it was, you know, and it's, it's, it's still evolving where, you know, um, but it feels you don't have a lot of people that have experienced it. Mm-hmm. So so you can you can talk. It's like me talking about my military service to people that don't understand it. Right. So that's the aspect that you could talk to a friend, but they're not the same. How did you work through having Xavier at home and having Julian in the NICU? I know that's something that a lot of families face. Of yeah. having to it have care. It was baseball care. season. Yeah, it was baseball no, it season. Was, it was, it was, I remember specifically, we have pictures of him in uniform. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, the one thing is interesting is because you, I, Renee didn't see it at all, but I looked at it as a, when you're a visitor, you have the kid that's coming. And so everybody's looking at first time premium or second time premium. So mm-hmm. there's so many different services that you're thinking of, right? You're like, how do I entertain a 10 year old while his attention span to visit his brother? So that was the part I remember pulling carts and pulling them around the hospital for like hours. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's it's I think the one thing that's missing is I feel like we didn't have a strategy. Yeah, we it just was hard. We, we really I think if it was it was something that would help, it would really help to understand. Here are some guidelines. If you're mm-hmm. coming in with a family, yeah. here's a guideline for you guys. Get a strategy together. Get yeah, a strategy can, because if you're coming in. A care in, plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because mm-hmm. if you're, what happens is it's it's it puts too much stress on the experience yeah. because and then I was like, I don't want to bother her of saying, what do I do with it? I just, you know, yeah. there's I'll, I'll work with it. But that should having a strategy plan for the family to visit. Mm-hmm was probably one of those elements that the hospital is not going to share with you what that is, what it mm-hmm. should be. But that would probably be what I saw yeah. was post 
kind of uh, experience. Yeah. Well, one thing I'll add, too, is that uh, Julian was born in May, so Xavier was still in school for some of that time. So it was good for him to maintain his normal. He was in his normal routine, right? He was going to school in the mornings. Alex would make sure he got off to school. I was, you know, heading to the NICU pretty much every day. Um, Of course, Alex would join me. But um, you know, we also wanted to make sure that Xavier was continuing his his normal routine, including it was baseball, and he had his playoff. You know, which was really exciting. Championship um, year. Yeah, it was a great <laughs> year for him. Um, he continues to be a, a pretty awesome athlete, but it's you know we wanted to make sure he felt well cared for. He did visit the NICU, and of course, we wanted him to stay as long as he could. But it got a little boring, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's thinking, why am I sitting here staring at this little, you know, little lump in the in the isolate? Um, after 15 minutes, he was like, okay, I'm good. But there was no lounge, really, for us to even go to. There was this tiny lounge. Um, he wasn't quite old enough to go down to the cafeteria himself. So we, we should have had probably a better plan. But again, you're so... You take it on, one day at a time. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah but exactly. also, the, also the dialogue, like you know, it's it's almost like you're 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 almost trying to cut, you're caught off guard because mm-hmm. you don't know how to role play here in these events. Yeah, because you got people that have more than one kid probably have multiple kids that have a NICU is they have like their attention spans everywhere while they're trying to do regular life with a NICU, right? Mm-hmm. So that was the challenge where I said, oh, wait, did we explain to Xavier what the NICU is and that Jillian is safe? So there mm-hmm. was days like that where why is it taking so long? So it's almost like we we were pro- probably she could have been more advanced in the conversations with him rather than him feeling anxiety as well, mm-hmm. which came a little bit. And But one thing I observed really well there, um, first time and second time, but more the second time because of the duration of it is, you know, the um the amount of love that's in that place mm-hmm. which is really like uh the world's best huggers mm-hmm. you know as i call it as like if you want to be loved you go to the NICU mm-hmm. you know and that yes. there's no a lot other, of love yeah, yeah there's a lot of love and I, and I felt like in there i was like so the second time i was like so confident in the amount of care and the calmness and just even though he was hooked up and beeped all over the place mm-hmm. the first couple of days was a little bit just from the emergency c-section yeah it was kind of like you know is this for real mm-hmm. um, but the love was through the roof and i think that that probably uh, you know sets the tone is there anything else that really sticks out to you as a dad in the NICU that you want to share and any advice that you have for dads on how you got through it and anything looking back that you wish you would have done differently or had done? I think differently is probably just more educating myself of what the process looks like, how, what the, what the, what the, you know, not, not bothering Renee about feeding and understand. I mean, I just have to pay really closer attention. She, she caught everything early and I felt like I was very late to the game. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's a lesson learned of, you know, don't be the bother of asking those questions because for, if not, I'll, I'll be understanding as my role is, you know, understand the health plan for the baby, understand the care that I would do differently of just, you know, rather than just coming in every day, I should have read up on that a little bit more. The second thing, then, and the second thing is, you know, if you have, um, you know, kids, especially, is really understand and set the expectations for the day because it changes. Work with your kids so they're part of it, and then um, I should have asked the nurses more 
of what are the things I could do to make this a better experience with Xavier. Yeah. I felt like Xavier was a nuisance mm -hmm. than more in there. And we felt like, you know, they welcomed him, but we just yeah. didn't know. We felt all of a sudden we're like, maybe he should get, he should get out of here. Yeah, it you felt know? a little bit, you know, because he was only 10, he wasn't quite a, uh, you know, he wasn't quite a child, but, he, you know, he wasn't mm -hmm. little. Um, and it's hard to it's hard to know, you know, how long he should be there, like what's appropriate for your your kids to visit during the NICU. Um, because, again, it's it's boring for them. They're mm -hmm. not there. You know, there's all these monitors beeping and he's thinking, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Like, why is he hooked up here? Um, so, yeah, even like explaining all that didn't even occur to me. It just kind of was an afterthought because, again, I was so focused on making sure that I was there for, for Julian. And what I hear from both of you is really that open communication, figuring out a plan, talking regularly, what do you need, talking to the nurses. I mean, it mm -hmm. all comes back to communication, communication, communication in a yeah. lot of ways, right? Yeah, totally. Uh, did you keep a journal during your NICU stay? I did not. Um, you know, the only thing that I uh, saved and did for as a, as a memory of that time was, um, I don't know if this happened to you, Martha, but each day they would send... Um, each day the nurses would send a little mini report through mm -hmm. email that said, hi, mom. It was written from the voice of mm. Julian. It said, hi, mom. Today I drank 0.1 ounce or whatever, and I went to the bathroom three times, and my diapers weighed two pounds or whatever, <laughs> yeah, whatever it was. Weighing the diapers. Weighing yes, the diapers. Yes. So I saved all of those in a folder, and it just is <laughs> wonderful to read, mm -hmm. you know, how tiny he actually was and how, you know, it's it's amazing how they do so well, mm -hmm. typically. And, um, you know, when I looked back at one of those recently, it just made me cry. I thought, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that at one point he drank 0.9 ounce. And that was like we were celebrating because, yes. you know, he took a vial of, you know, breast milk that was, you know, five milliliters or something. Um, but yeah, I, in retrospect, uh, keeping a journal would have been a great thing to do. Um, it yeah. hadn't even occurred to me. We have some we have some pictures. We have some great pictures. We have some of great course. pictures mm -hmm. in there. I, I just remembered this and and I just haven't given it much thought. I did not enjoy being there. I felt I was causing more harm. Mm. The the and the, the sharing of it is because when the when it was an emergency C section and being there, I'm comfortable with all the stuff that goes on. But what happens is the baby didn't breathe when mm -hmm. he was first out. So I was fixated on that. And um, and then finally, when he did breathe, I looked like I was going to lose it mm -hmm. and pass out because I thought I was going to lose a child. Mm -hmm. And that was the truth. It wasn't about the blood or anything. It was So they had to take me to the other room. They had literally three nurses with me. I'm like, wait, you're by <laughs> myself. Where'd I'm, all the nurses uh, yeah, go? There was your husband. And I was like, are we going to lose him? He didn't yeah, breathe. And I'm so thinking, overwhelming. I just thought of the whole beginning journey to there. So what happened is that carried me over. That was my first what I call effects of I can't hold the baby. And I didn't because I was nervous that Fear. I would cause harm to mm -hmm. the baby because of my size and the tininess of the baby. So I, I and Renee may, may not know this either, but I really just did very minimum because I felt like I didn't want to be mm -hmm. until he was given the, like the double mm -hmm. green light Yeah, that I was like, Okay, I'll do the minimum here because I feel like I'm going to cause more harm with this with this little baby and not do it right. Yeah, in and fact, I never felt that way before, but because of that, you know, and 
you know, who knows? Maybe there's others that are out there that are just that, that might think NICU is just a little bit so different that they feel like they're going to skip around that process and wait till the baby goes home. Mm. Yeah. And we have a picture of, of Alex holding Julian and, um, you know, Alex is, is a big guy, six foot three. Um, and Julian was the size of, you know, <laughs> my purse or something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's sitting, he's holding him and it just, it's the picture makes Julian look so tiny and Alex looks so huge. And I know obviously you had this experience, Martha, with your girls being so, so tiny, but it does, they look so fragile, mm-hmm. you know, they look mm-hmm. so fragile and the fear of people holding them um, like my mom, even when she came to see Julian was like, are you sure it's okay for me to hold them? Cause they do look so fragile yes. and yes. they are hooked up to mm-hmm. all these wires and you can't freely, you know, hold the baby like you would want to. So I think that also creates a lot of fear and barriers, even for, um, people to come see you in mm-hmm. the NICU. Uh, it, it just feels like a very awkward thing. And that's where the nurses are so helpful, I think. Yes. They really empower you to help with care and yes. to hold your baby. I mean, I remember the first day that we held Claire, she was still on a ventilator. She wow. was connected to a lot of wires. And it was a scary it's very moment scary. to think about holding her. Of course, I think I didn't breathe for about two hours that I, that I held her. But it is relying on those nurses to help walk you through that. And I believe Paul, Alex, actually had a similar experience when the girls were born mm-hmm. via emergency C-section. And they were so tiny at so a tiny. pound two and a pound four. Wow. And that they, the nurses there said, touch your babies, Paul. Here are your babies. Yeah. Martha, I know with your listening sessions, um, you probably do a lot of facilitation for folks to talk about these sorts of things. And that felt like a vacancy for us. We didn't have any forum to, you know, for Alex to even express that to other parents to say, oh, well, here's what I did, or Mm -hmm. I felt the same way. And, um, you know, that definitely felt like a missed, uh, a missed opportunity for us or for the, for the hospital to provide that sort of, um, you know, safe zone for people to talk about their experience. Um, and I think that that definitely was something that looking back, you know, the, the care was exceptional and it just felt like the care for the actual parent um, outside of the doctors and nurses being, you know, supremely uh, competent and caring, but they just felt like caring for you as a person mm-hmm. was a little bit less emphasized, you know. And that is what we're working to do with today is a good day. Those listening mm-hmm. sessions, being able to help foster that connection among parents, mm-hmm. those friendships Absolutely. that you make, talking to people who understand what you're going mm-hmm. through because they're experiencing it Absolutely. as well. So I do have to ask you, you're talking about how small Xavier was, how small Julian mm-hmm. was, uh, especially with you holding them, mm-hmm. Alex. Mm-hmm. How are they now? What are they up to? And what advice would you have for parents, especially with Xavier being a teenager now? What advice would you have for parents as you look at your preemies and as they're continuing to grow up? Mm -hmm. What do you want to tell their families? Well, I think first and foremost, um, they're doing great. Uh, Like, I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but Xavier is six foot five now and like 240 pounds. (laughs) He'll probably kill me for saying that out loud, but he is literally a linebacker. You know, when you think about a preemie turning into a linebacker, it seems very unlikely, right? But um, this, this this is what happens. You know, he really did amazingly well. He did not have any, um, repercussions of being, you know, behind in his development mentally and physically, physically even more so. He was always 
on the 99th percentile and 100th percentile for growth. Uh, both of them did walk later than most. I think they were about 14, close to 15 months before they actually walked. But um, Julian is five, and he is also on a pretty good growth trajectory. I think he'll be a little smaller than Xavier, but he's uh, in pre-K and doing amazing. He is super, super, um, you know, genius when he's talking. He talks like he's a grown adult. And so when we think about, you know, him as a preemie, it's also hard to believe that he started off so tiny because he is, you know, so robust and so active and so curious and just learning everything at like warp speed. Um, so I think for parents who it's hard to envision your baby ever doing well, particularly for parents who start off with babies who have so many issues and health issues um, at the onset of their birth, I think, you know, getting getting to see other preemies who have done well is is super encouraging. Mm -hmm. We didn't have any friends who had preemies. Yeah. Um, the only experience I had had was my my mom uh, had a premature uh, delivery with my older brother, and I wasn't born at the time, but. You know, it he he also did really really well, and so I I had you know understood that he was born early, and there was no NICU at that time. He was sent home, and my mom fed him with an eyedropper. So think of how far we've wow. come. So do you still have flashbacks from the NICU, or have you really been able to kind of move on fully from that whole experience? Yeah, I mean, it is something um, so intense when you live through it. And I don't think you ever fully, you never fully forget about it, right? It, it kind of becomes a lesser, you know, lesser uh, in the forefront of your mind, it kind of shifts to the back. But it, just like Alex said, you know, you always wonder if there's some lingering thing or some lingering side effect. Um, I'm a worrier by nature. So I worry about, you know, a hangnail that one of the kids has, but um, it's, it, it is something that, um, I still I still like to talk about it and share it with people because like you, Martha, you, you didn't know you were going to need the NICU. You know, you had no right. idea. And most parents don't expect to be there. Um, but when you are, it it is very intense and it feels very isolating. So I, I like to talk about it openly because I think if someone else could benefit and hear that this might you know, you don't want to scare people, but it might be your reality. You know, it's always good to think about, well, what NICU what's the service at my hospital? Mm -hmm. You know, do they have a NICU? Do they, what you should, could you, should you look at it before you go? And I remember that my hospital tour was scheduled for the very day that I had, was going to <laughs> right. have Xavier. So I said, I right. guess I'm getting the tour that I never, yes. <laughs> never was able to take. Yes. Well, one of, one of the things I think that the appreciation and the, I'm reminded of is like I told you was the amount of love and care is never seen again any other place I've ever been yeah. to. Yes. Well, I have to thank you both so much for sharing your journey. And I think not only your NICU journey, but also your journey to starting a family. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of chapters in yeah. that book, and we certainly appreciate you sharing it with us. Alex, of course, we have to thank you for your service. I know your military mm -hmm. service. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just really grateful for you both being here with us today. Thank you, Martha. Thanks for having us. Thank Thanks you. for what you do. Yes.